Good morning, everyone. So good to see you all. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts in a series on the book of Acts and um, how the course of the history of the world was really changed by men and women in this book. And uh, so that continues today. So let's turn uh, to Acts chapter 14. We'll be covering Acts chapter 14 and 15. And what I desperately wish to communicate is God's heart for the Gentile peoples of the earth. That if you look at the wider context of these two chapters in the book of Acts, if you remember starting from chapter 10 of Acts, uh, Pastor Daryl and Will were preaching on this, but that's the moment when Peter sees a vision coming down from heaven of the animals on the sheet, and he receives divine revelation that salvation is not just for the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And that was a shocking revelation because at the time, the Christians, they weren't even called Christians. They were just called the way because they were just assuming that they were a part of Judaism and that God's plan of salvation was so that Israel would be restored. They had no grid or no understanding for God's heart for the nations. But what we'll see in chapters 14 and 15 is that it's always been the case that God has had a heart for the nations. This wasn't a secondary plan. This wasn't a plan B, but it's in the heart of God to reach the far ends of the earth for his glory. And so we see in Acts 10, uh, Peter receives that vision. He shares, shares with the church. Cornelius is saved. All of these um, Gentile believers receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All of this pointing to the fact that God is moving in the Gentiles, not only the Jews. And then last week, Pastor Darrell preached on how the Holy Spirit set Paul and Barnabas apart so that they would be the first missionaries to the Gentile people. And so that's where uh, that leaves us in uh, chapter 13 and chapter 14, which we'll look at today, they're going around all these different places like Cyprus, Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, all these places I don't know how to pronounce. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're doing this work among, again, the Gentiles and Greek um, converts. And so the main focus of today uh, will be on chapter 15 as a revelation of God's heart. Once again, that's that's what I wish to communicate is God's heart for the nations. But uh, we're going to start in 14 just to give a few little uh, takeaways here so that um, uh, we can remember what 14 was about. And so I'll start at Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But some of the people in the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. This text shows us a snapshot shot of the nature of the preaching of the gospel. So I want to just cover some characteristics that define faithful preaching of the gospel, which really defines how all Christians should live. 
right? So if you're kind of checking out because you're saying, well, I'm not a you know, full-time missionary and I'm not going to a different country, well, this actually speaks to the MO, the way that we should all be living, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's on campus, our duty and our responsibility, as we'll see in uh, chapter 15, is to spread the gospel to everyone around us. And so this section actually defines how we should live as believers. So when it says, so they remain for a long time speaking boldly, right? What's the first thing we, that we see? It's very obvious. But the preaching of the gospel is to be bold and full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is very clear. It's throughout the entire book of Acts. But somehow... It's not very clear to the church in the West. We think that somehow we need to come up with certain strategies, certain approaches. How am I to bring the gospel in the least offensive way possible? And you know, these are all good things to consider. But primarily the gospel is about preaching with boldness and with power. Just because we haven't seen a faithful witness of that in our day doesn't mean it holds true in Scripture. I mean, there's so many scriptures about this, but, um, you know, for instance, 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, the kingdom of God is not of talk, but of power, right? And, and sometimes I, I fear that in the church, we just kind of have these exchanges. We just have conversations about what we want to do for God. I, I, I'm afraid that I'm just here preaching, but it's just words. But we can't just have words. We need to have a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we don't adjust, you know, what the Bible says to our experience or what we see in the churches around us, but we pioneer and we pursue for the power and the, and the boldness that comes with the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I just also want to say that just in terms of boldness, at least from my experience, like, you don't, I really, I think that the Lord is doing a great work in our church, and people are getting excited about evangelism. If you kind of haven't experienced that yet, like, we don't have to wait to be bold to go out. The pattern is we go out and the Holy Spirit puts that boldness upon our hearts. It's amazing. It's just, and you know, since I have a little extra time um, in second service, like, I was like not very bold at all the first, you know, times I went out to evangelize. Danielle and I um, went out together and, with our friends. And Okay, I like this story. So um, Samuel and I have gone um, evangelizing before. He's my evangelism buddy. And and, uh, but one day we were just ran into each other at Trader Joe's and um, he noticed that like <laughs> I'm kind of timid so I don't actually ask for help in the grocery store. So instead of asking for help, I'm like, I'll just find this my own way and I'll just wander down the aisles. And Samuel was like, dude, why aren't you just asking the people? They're here to help you, right? But I realized at that moment like it's amazing that God has transformed me in a way that I was so timid that I could not talk to the grocery clerks. But now, after a few weeks of doing this, I'm going out on the street and just proclaiming the bold gospel. It's not anything about my personality. It's not anything about my own works. But it's we obey the scriptures and the Holy Spirit supplies, right? So the first theme here, as we're going through chapter 14... Uh, is that the, the preaching of the gospel is to be accompanied by boldness and by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the second thing, second thing I want to point out is that just because you're preaching boldly doesn't mean everything is going to be easy. This is something that 
Pastor Daryl just so well emphasized last week, it's like the book of Acts was not just going from sign to wonder to sign to wonder. Like there was persecution. There was difficulty. We see that in the two verses here. I'll just read one of them. It says the people were divided, right? This is uh, verse 5. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, Paul and Barnabas learned of it and they fled. That, that doesn't, that's not like a glorious thing or like a heroic thing. They're running away because they're afraid, right? And sometimes when we read the scriptures, we just see all these amazing stories, but we don't get all the details of what it looked like on the ground. And so my encouragement as we read through the book of Acts is not just to read it as like, wow, look at all these highlights, but also to understand that when we labor for the sake of the gospel, we cannot be surprised when there's difficulty and there's resistance to the gospel. So let's just move on, right along to uh, verse 19 in chapter 14. And we see this resistance to the gospel. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to the city and had many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Here's the key. Encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The reality of the gospel is that it requires an endurance in the midst of suffering. And so the point that I want us to get out of chapter 14 here is that we ought to, as the church, embrace weakness. Weakness is not a shameful thing. It's not a shameful thing or it's not God cursing us when we experience difficulty, but God wants us to drink the same cup that Jesus did, that on the cross, his victory was through suffering. See, because in this time period, these people thought, again, like, if I'm good to God, then God will bless me. And if I'm, if I'm uh, wicked, God will curse me. And so Paul actually has to encourage them. I mean, can you imagine, like, their leader was just stoned in front of them. He's almost dead. And so they're in disarray. They're in chaos. They're in confusion. But Paul says, be strengthened. For the way into the kingdom is through tribulation. Guys, that, that is... I know that sounds foreign, but that is just so amazing. I know, like, I love the charismatic church, and I love how we focus on a theology of strength, right? He will bring us from strength to strength, right? That we're no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to accept the same depression and the same cycles of sin and addictions, but we cling to Jesus. We cling to the blood of Jesus. I love that. But there's also a theology of weakness that we need to connect with. And when we're truly laboring and we're pouring out our lives for the gospel, there is a place of weakness where only God's strength can be made perfect and there's nothing that I can do. If you haven't tasted weakness yet, go out and evangelize. Just try it. (laughs) There's, There's nothing that I can say to make this person's heart open up. There's no way that I can convince them. And in my weakness, I say, God, you are made strong. Would your will be done even in the midst of my weakness? And, uh, I mean, there, I wish I could read some other stuff. Check out 1 Corinthians 4 later um, to get a theology of weakness. I know it sounds like foreign language, but it's biblical. 
And so preaching with boldness, not being surprised with resistance, and also uh, embracing the weakness, which is the way of the cross. Those are some of the themes that are in chapter 14. There's a lot else going on there. But I do want to move us to 15 because we're going to kind of land um, with some stuff in uh, Acts chapter 15. Now, uh, what's happening in Acts chapter 15 uh, is that uh, basically this argument, uh, these Pharisees, it's always the Pharisees, and they're saying, well, you know, in order for these Gentiles to become Christian, they need to be circumcised, and, you know, there's this whole controversy. Uh, And so you might not think that these two chapters are connected, but I believe that chapter 15 is connected to 14, and really all the way from Acts 10 to 14, 15 is the culmination of all the missionary effort through, from chapters 10 to 14. In chapter 15, we see the historical significance of the evangelistic work that Paul and Barnabas are doing. They're on the field, they're suffering for Christ, they're preaching boldness, boldly, but in 15, we get to kind of peel back the curtain and we see God's heart, uh, as he said in Scripture, of why this Gentile missionary effort is happening. And I believe it's kind of... Um, it's kind of interesting that sometimes when we're laboring for the city, right, whether it's, you know, prayer set leading, you know, day in and day out, whether it's leading small group, opening up your home and hosting people, you know, these things can be difficult. But sometimes when we're caught up in the laboring, we don't see the historical significance of what we're doing. We're just caught up with our daily kind of grind, and we don't see that God has been writing a story from Genesis to Revelation. There's something significant for each generation, I believe. And so in chapter 15, we see the historical significance that something different was taking place in the history of the church. And so there's a lot in uh, chapter 15. We're not going to get through all of it today, but I want to just point our attention um, to verse, let's say, 13. Acts 15, verse 13. So these, uh, the council is arguing. They're like, oh, do these need to be circumcised? And um, so Peter is trying to defend the Gentiles and saying they're fully believers. Just because they're a different ethnicity, they're still fully believers, right? And, uh, and so Paul and Barnabas also share. And then James, uh, the leader of the Jerusalem council, he's kind of the, the, the top at the time would be a bishop, of the church in Jerusalem. He kind of lays down the law here, and he makes kind of the final decision, and everyone says, okay, we know that God has revealed his salvation also to Gentiles. So verse 13, after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. What James is saying is by quoting Amos, He says that this was made known from of old, God's desire that all Gentiles would be able to seek him. 
So the, the problem in this Jerusalem council is they're, they're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? I thought we were just supposed to um, kind of, I thought Jesus was just for the uh, salvation of the Jews. What is this new work that's happening? But James says, no, 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 no. This is not a new work or something that we're inventing. It's always been in the heart of God for the nations. So just to give you a glimpse of what James is talking about, I want to talk about some Old Testament uh, scriptures Uh, So let's turn to Genesis 12, and we'll see that the heart of God has always been for all peoples, and not only for, you know, the people of Israel. So this is an important one, so go ahead and turn there. I think it's definitely worth uh, mulling over for a bit. Genesis 12, God is calling Abram. And he says, go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, this is verse 1, to the land that I will show you. Verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation. See, what, what God is talking about is in your lineage, in your seed, is going to come forth a great nation. That's the people of Israel. So what God is doing is he's calling Abram and he's calling forth the people of Israel. Okay? So... Then it says, I will, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. The purpose of Abram's calling, the purpose of Israel's calling is so that they would be a blessing. Sometimes we think that we're blessed so that we can be blessed. Right? That's not the biblical narrative. It's God bless. I mean, we love Abraham. He had all these caravans. He had all these riches. So yes, we love the blessing. Amen, right? But the blessing is so that they will be a blessing. That's our call. So now, now uh, God explains to Abram what that blessing will be. He says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And here's the key phrase, in you. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a remarkable, I mean, this is, we wouldn't be here this morning if this, God didn't make this promise to Abraham, right? And Abraham had no idea of the significance at the time. Uh, He he must have been wondering, what do you mean in me all the nations? That makes no sense. I'm in a foreign land. I'm in the land of Canaan. All these other, like all of my enemies surround me. How is it that you're saying in you all the nations shall be blessed? Well, thankfully, Paul actually answers that question for us. In Galatians 3, he explains, now he's quoting a different Genesis 22, but he explains, in your offspring, all the nations shall be blessed. He's explaining that that offspring refers to the Messiah that is Jesus Christ, that in the line of Abraham would come forth the lamb who would take away the sins of the earth. Jesus Christ is a blessing through which all nations are blessed. And this is remarkable. Before I was, maybe, maybe, you know, I feel like probably Chong Su has taught me about this before, but I don't remember these sorts of things. Um, you know, he knows all the Bible facts. <laughs> but um, I'll just read this from Galatians 3, 9. This is just, or 3, 8. This is remarkable. I don't know if any of you are familiar with this, but it'll probably be on the screen here. Galatians 3.8 says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. How many of you knew that the gospel is not just a New Testament reality? The gospel of Jesus Christ 
was already existent in the heart of God when he promised to Abraham, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Sometimes we lose vision of the fact that the people of Israel were God's chosen people, not just so that they could be chosen, but that they could be a blessing to all nations. That, that part of the promise of God, it becomes hazy. Right, but what do we see in Genesis 12? We see that in the call of Abraham, when he was called, he was called, his purpose was for the salvation of the entire world. It wasn't just for him. Israel was not just for him. He was promised by God to be blessed for us, actually. So the application is actually really clear. The application is, why did God choose us then? Why did God save us? Yes, he saved us because he loved us with an everlasting love. Yes, he sent his son down to die for us, his only son, because he loved us. But just as much as he loves you and me, he also loves every tribe, tongue, and nation in the world. It's throughout the scripture is God's burning desire that all the nations of the earth would come to know him. You know, I, there's so many things I could talk about, but um, I think let's, let's go back to Acts because this, because I was asking God, like, you know, with this Jerusalem council uh, and this debate, I was like, man, this is kind of boring. <laughs> like, what do you want me to preach on? So I asked God, and I just felt him impress upon my heart. Just preach about my heart for the nations. And, you know, it's just a small thing that I noticed in uh, chapter 14. Um, So we're going over chapter 14 again. So verse uh, 15, chapter 14, verse 15. And at this point, Paul and Barnabas have healed someone, and the people are, there's pandemonium, there's chaos, and they're all worshiping them, and it's crazy. But this is what Paul says. Men, why are you doing these things? We are, all, we are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Here's verse 17. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. You know, I was thinking about like, do you know why God created all the heavens? It says God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea. Why did he create those things? Why did he create like nature and sunshine and these beautiful things? Why did he allow us to be satisfied even when we were not believers? All this stuff that we enjoy throughout all of history, all of it was God's heart that people would come to know him. That's the purpose of everything that you see outside today. That's the purpose of every single good or pleasing emotion that we feel in our hearts is because God has a desire that people would come to know him. It says a similar thing in Acts 17. You guys might have heard this before, but... Uh, basically, Paul is preaching to uh, these people that don't know God, and he says uh, that he chose where each of the peoples would live. 
so that somehow they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him because God is not far from any of those people. Like any people group, any nation, any ethnicity you can think, God is near to them. He wants them through nature. Romans 1, the invisible attributes of God revealed through nature. Everything around us is so that people might encounter God. But as we see in John 1, even though Jesus came into the world, we did not know him. Right, but the, but the whole story of the Bible is so that every single tribe, tongue, and nation would come to encounter the love of God. So my prayer uh, is, I guess, that, you know, my, when you look at uh, Acts 15, that part that I quoted, um, after this I will return, I will rebuild the tent of David, verse uh, 16, I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. I almost feel in my spirit that's a word for America. You know, there's... Uh, not the kind of faithful witness that we would like to see in the churches of America, right? When it comes to uh, not living for our own church service, but, but for, for, for making Christ known to all nations. But you see, there's this promise in Amos that James was quoting that the Lord will return and he will rebuild and he will revive Israel. And I believe that in my spirit, I mean, I got to believe that God will revive the churches of America. I can't lose hope in the churches of America that God would do his work again to bring us back to the simple gospel. I got to believe I can't give up on the church in America. And this is what the DNA of our church is to pray for revival in the churches in America, in the churches of New England, right? But what does it say in that passage? I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Why do we seek revival in America? Is it just to have a, a morally pure culture? Is it just so that the the church becomes the dominant force in America? That can't be it. There's something missing. We desire that God restore America so that it once again send missionaries to the ends of the earth. That God's, the knowledge of God's glory would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Lord, do it in our day. Do it in our generation. You know, if we come to church Sunday after Sunday and we just come to sing songs and, and just kind of hang out, you, you know there's, there's a gnawing feeling that there's something missing. There has to be something more. Why? Because we're not living up to the fulfillment of our purpose. We don't remember that we were called, we were blessed so that we could bless others. We were called to people, right? First Peter 2, you were chosen as a holy priesthood people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. We were called so that we can proclaim the gospel. We were not called just for ourselves. We were not just called just to sing songs to ourselves. But God desires that a song from every tongue, every tribe and nation would arise all across the earth. This is his heart. And that, that's my prayer is we... 
And even as I preach, there's not, there's not words that could do justice to the heart of God for the nations. Even, even as I preach, I, I repent of the ways that I don't have that, that heart for the nations that I don't have that burning for those that are lost to come to know God. And my heart is, you know, we just repent. We had an awesome uh, night of repentance last uh, night at J-Hop, and, and it's not condemnation. We just repent, and we say, God, we have a problem in the church. We have a problem in the church. We don't care about the nations. We care about, like, how does the worship sound? Like, uh, do I have the small groups that fit my schedule? Like, am I being kind of served and taken care of? We have all these individual concerns, but you're going to keep having the gnawing feeling that this this is not enough. And so, let's... um, we have a good amount of time. This is good. Let's, um, I just want to close with the time of prayer. Um, there's really nothing more I could say about I, So I guess I'll share one last thing. Uh, again, I just want to communicate God's heart for the nations. Um, One of the most, and I guess I'll close with this, one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced um, was in fifth or sixth grade, um, these uh, Mongolian Christians came to stay at our house for a couple of days, and um, we were sharing a meal together, and, um, and we were just talking and hanging out, and they're believers, and they, they, they asked if they could sing some songs. Um, you know, to Jesus, and they took out their traditional Mongolian instruments and the two-stringed kind of stringed instruments, and they started playing, and they started worshiping Jesus, and I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, the, it sounded like nothing that no, like, it didn't sound like Hillsong, it didn't sound like, you know, Bethel, there's something so beautiful about a nation singing to Jesus in their own tongue, in their own culture. I, and I thought for the next six months, I was like, maybe, I, maybe I'm supposed to be a missionary to Mongolia. Maybe I still am. Um, but we have to encounter God's heart for the beauty of each tribe, tongue, and nation. When it, when, it says, when it says Gentile, uh, the father of nations, Abraham would be the father of nations, that word nation is actually ethnic group. It's talking about the expression of Jesus Christ in all the nations. Now, I don't want to be culturally insensitive, but I just got to say, when, when people pray in uh, Mandarin or Cantonese, I just get wrecked. It's just, it's so different from our cultural expression. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is we got to get out of this American mindset to God's heart for all peoples. And so let's have a time of intercession right now. Um, if, if Will, you could just come up and play some music. And, um, you know, we love each other at Hilltop, so let's get comfortable. Uh, let's just um, get in uh, groups of two and three. This won't go on for more than, you know, five, ten minutes. Don't worry. But let's just cry out for our church, Hilltop, and also for the churches in America, for the churches in New England, that God would revive the missionary mandate once again. 
we can't, we can't lose hope for this nation. We can't lose hope in the, in the midst of materialism. We can't get jaded with the church. But we have hope that God will revive a heart and a hunger for the nations to glorify God. That the knowledge of the glory of God would be spread out through all the earth. So just get in groups of two and three. And, and introduce yourself, you know, so that the people know your name. Introduce yourself. Come on, let's not just do church as normal, but let's actually believe that our prayers can shake things in history. So let's pray for the nations. That you would give us a heart, O oh Lord, for the nations. I want us to shift to a personal focus. Let's all pray for each other that us personally would come alive to the truth of the gospel. That we would come alive to God's purpose over our lives. Let's pray for our own hearts. That we'd have this desire for the nations.
This passion in my heart, this stirring in my soul, see the nations bow for all the world to know. I'm living for your glory on the For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. Light a flame in my soul for every eye to see. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. Like a fire in me. This passion in my heart, this stirring in my soul, to see the nations bow, for all the world to know, I'm living for your glory on the earth. On the Like a fire in me For every need to bow down For every heart to believe For every voice to cry out Burn like a fire in me For every tongue to confess You alone are the King you are the hope of the earth For every knee to bow down For every heart to believe For every voice to cry out Burn like a fire in me For every time to confess You alone are the king You are the hope of the Come on, let's sing this out. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. Light a flame in my soul for every eye to see. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. 
like a fire in me. Light a flame in my soul for every eye to see. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. I guess we can continue to pray and worship and commune if you like. Um, I guess I'll just close with this thought. You know, the reason why we do church together is because there's so much grace and mercy. And so if you don't feel this burning on our heart, we don't settle, but we also don't feel guilty, right? There's therefore now no condemnation. And so the purpose of church is that we gather so that we can spur each other on to good works, right? That we would encourage each other to fan the flame in each other. And so I just encourage you, if you're not there yet, there's mercy. Grace abounds all the more in the place of need, right? And so just continue to engage I would strongly recommend you check out, go to the uh, Doing What Jesus Did. It's going to be next, next Thursday, right? Just put yourself out there. If you don't have the boldness yet, if you don't have the hunger yet, just go out there. Put your feet into action. And, and the final thing I just want to say as a practical application, um, I was actually going to have um, our beloved Liam come up and pray, but, you know, um, you know he, just, he just has such a heart and... And so, just in closing, I just want to say, like, if you, if you haven't, if you're not giving to a missions organization, like, he, we didn't plan this pitch. It wasn't part of the agenda. But I, I've, I've been living with Liam for some time. We've been hosting him at our house. And I've been to two 110 uh, intensive with him. And he's the real deal. Like, his heart, every time he talks about world missions, man, I just, I just my heart breaks. And so I know some of you college students are broke. It's fine. You know, just, just $5 a month, $10 a month. But as a church, we can do this and get behind someone that gave their life to Jesus and that said, I'm going to obey and I'm going to go to the nations. Daniela and I always kind of just talk about, man, like, do you, I don't know, do we go? Do we stay in America? What do we do? But the least that we can do is give financially. It's the very least that we can do. If we're not abroad ourselves, then we can give financially. So just talk to him. I don't think he, he probably doesn't have his materials or whatever, but just talk to him. Get his email. Info center. Go to the info center. And um, yeah, besides that, I love you guys. I love doing this with you guys. Thank you so much for being here. We love you. And uh, go to the info center for more information about all that we do. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Five seconds of your time. Bethany, will you come? We want to remind our church of a fast that we're engaging in together. Well, first of all, thank you, John, for bringing the word today. Um, you know, I just want to say for some of you, if, if maybe some of what John was articulating is um, not familiar to you and it was new, I encourage you to go back and listen to the word that you heard today. Um, our community is in the midst of a fast March 1st through April 9th. And ultimately, the House of Prayer and then Hilltop Church was born out of that fast during that 40-day period of time. And ultimately, in 2006, when we were fasting for 40 days, I'm going to, you know, if you notice me, I'm a little bit of a wreck right now, just um, with John's closing. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to wrap this up. You know, I just continually come back to the place that the only reason... I'm laboring in Boston. The only reason we're building anything is ultimately unto this purpose of seeing awakening 
and then a great sending of missionaries to the preaching of the gospel in the nations of the earth. And, you know, just on a very personal level, you know, I've recently said to my husband, ministry really makes me tired. I just really have no desire to build a church to gather people together and to meet all of their practical needs. The only reason I'm able to continue to keep going is believing that God spoke to us a word that his intended purpose of Boston was that light and glory would go to the nations of the earth. And so we labor to that end. We don't labor even for 24-7. We labor that the glory of the Lord would be manifest in the nations of the earth. That from the ends of the earth, they will hear the song, glory to the righteous one. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not acquainted kind of with our history and why we're here, you should jump into the fast. Because part of the reason we're even doing the fast in this 40 days is praying for the fulfillment of the vision that God sent us here for. But also in the midst of this fast, we're praying with an organization called ACTS for the sending of missionaries to the 1040 window. And so at 1040 every morning, we're praying for the unreached people groups. And I just believe that as we're praying that, God might burden your own heart to go, but I do believe that God answers prayer and that even from Boston, God will raise up messengers to go to the unreached people groups. So March 1st through April 9th, just join us in any posture, in any way, and throw yourself into this season of fasting with us. Wow. What a service, eh?